0: This is an ABC podcast. Slip, slop, slap. Slip, slap. Slip on a shirt, slap on sunscreen, and slap on a hat. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the conversation hour.
2: Slip, slap, slap. slap. So do we actually need a new Slip Slop Slap campaign? Has the message been lost? Because unfortunately, skin cancer rates are on the rise and they're forecast to continue growing over the next few decades. So after all the advertising and education over the years around sun safety, you have to ask... Why? Why are those numbers growing? Is it confusion around when and where to wear sunscreen, even on days like today that are overcast? Is it about understanding UV? Do we need stronger workplace sun smart protocols, especially in industries like construction? And is a new wave of risky pro-tanning behaviour that's being promoted on sites like TikTok partly to blame for this increase? But then you have to think, would a slip slop slap campaign even work now? Or as Australians, will we always have a tanning culture? A special program today on The Conversation Hour where your questions on sunscreen, on skin cancer are answered. On
0: ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
2: This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and a special skin cancer and sunscreen program for you today. And you might be thinking, why on earth are you doing a skin cancer and sunscreen program on a cold and overcast day? Well, that's probably the exact reason why we need to do it today. Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair, also the Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council Victoria. Good morning to you, Craig, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's actually probably a perfect day to be talking about skin cancer, isn't it?
0: Thanks, Rochelle. Yes, the, the the weather is decidedly cool, not just uh, in Melbourne, right across the state. But uh, the UV levels are indeed extreme. So this is the time where often many people get caught out, they get sunburnt, and they ask, how did this happen? It wasn't hot. Uh, this is a time where often people spend longer times outdoors because they're feeling comfortable but the UV is equally as strong today as it might be tomorrow if the temperature's in the high 30s. So it is a good time to be talking about skin cancer prevention.
2: Do you think that message is lost? Do do most of us know that even though it's cold and that it's overcast, that we still need to be wearing sunscreen?
0: Look, there is a strong association that people have in their minds around temperature and sun protection, and it's almost... In the Australian context, it's almost essential if you're going to go to the beach and spend any time outdoors, which is you often do on warm weather, you or, almost know that you have to have some form of sun protection because you're just going to get burnt very quickly. But many people don't realise it's in those cooler days and often it's those days where more people actually get sunburnt because they haven't made that uh, connection between um, UV and the time of the year and the importance of sun protection at that time.
2: I have a question for you, Craig. The sunscreen in makeup, it's normally around 15 plus sometimes. Is that enough? Is that enough protection?
0: Generally, generally not. Uh, the reason for that is that that sunscreen we, we have much higher SPF sunscreens available and often those sunscreens that are mixed into makeup are not water resistant. So they're more likely to come off and they're not uh, certainly as strong or as uh, offer the best benefits as those with much higher sunscreen. So at this time of year, just to give you some idea of the intensity of the UV, what we're dealing with in this country, which is a unique problem for Australia, is that it can take as little as eleven minutes to burn in in some parts of the country up near Darwin, but it's only fifteen minutes in Hobart. So no matter wow. where you are, Gosh, that's
2: not long, is it? You think oh, I'm just popping down to the shops? Yes.
0: So no matter whether you live in Hobart or Darwin, it, you're really talking about the extreme intensity of our UV that can take less than fifteen minutes for many people with that with fair skin. Wow,
2: Craig. Uh, sorry, Michael is in Coburg. Good morning, Michael. What was your question?
0: Oh,
3: good morning. Well, I don't have a question, but I think it's a good opportunity to dispel the myth of windburn, which is still a thing that people believe on in Australia that I got windburn, and of course the wind doesn't burn; it's the sun. Yes. And um, yeah, um, still after all these years, people are oh, I got a bad windburn. I just think it's a good opportunity. I know. To get, I uh, agree.
2: Well done, Michael. I mean, my mum used to say that at time. Oh, it must have been windburn. It possibly couldn't have been sunburn. Michael raises a good point.
0: Absolutely, Michael. You're you're spot on there. And uh, as much as we talk about it, many people just cannot disassociate uh, that idea. It's all caused by ultraviolet radiation. Whether it's windy or not, it really doesn't make any difference.
2: Jasmine's call from Maryvale. Hi, Jasmine. Oh, hi. How are you going? Well, what was your question?
4: Uh, Well it's actually more of a statement I wanted to just agree I'm glad you're talking about this I think it needs to be talked about more often I can't tell you the amount of times I've told friends and family to wear hats and sunscreen like I've always got a wide brimmed hat and a long sleeve shirt and I wear actually zinc instead of sunscreen because yeah I'm burnt in 15 minutes easily and I haven't been burnt in years but um, now that I'm in my late 30s uh, it's really evident from comparing my skin to my friend's skin who live up, still live up on the coast. There's definite aging differences because I've protected my skin from the sun. Um, but I'm just so glad that you're having this conversation and I think that people need to be more aware. And,
2: more and how do we do that, Jasmine? I mean, we started the program with the Slip Slop Slap campaign. So for those of us of a certain vintage, you know, we we know that campaign. But life was kind of simpler in terms of how we advertised then. You took out a few ads in the paper or a billboard and on the tally, you know, during the news or young talent time or whatever it may be and that was that. But that's not how the world works now, Jasmine. How do you re-educate, do you think?
4: Uh, look, it'd probably have to be some sort of scare campaign, to be honest, because uh, on social media, because, yeah, like I said, I, I I bang on about it all the time and people constantly getting burnt and have, you know, things burnt off their skin because of it, you know, yeah. cancerous arthritis and stuff. Um, I've lost a friend to melanoma years ago and that. it's, um, you know, it's so much bigger, but we just, I just don't think there's enough talk about it in general because... You just don't hear about this sort of stuff. You know, I'm not sure what the statistic is, but I know that melanoma kills like a really high amount of people Mm. uh, compared to other cancers. So I think, yeah, potentially scare campaign might be the only way to get through to people.
2: Jasmine, thanks for your call and I'm sorry to hear that you lost your friend as well. A scare campaign, Craig, would it work? Scare campaigns, we've used them for everything from HIV through to drink driving. Would it work for skin cancer?
0: It it does. It does to a degree. Um, Education's one part of it. It's interesting. We talk a lot about uh, slip, slop, slap, and it's great here in that intro. Interestingly, it it wasn't. um, It was back on air in 1980, and it really hasn't had a substantive campaign on air since then. We have. It was a fabulous campaign in terms of raising awareness, but now we have to take it to another level. And the things that we do know that does work is actually talking to people about how severe melanoma is. And it's not just something that can be readily cut off. It can in some cases, but in many cases, and unfortunately over 300 Victorians lose their life each year to to melanoma. Um, We do need to treat it seriously and our public health messaging has to reflect that.
2: Is it about putting in stricter protocols? So we've seen that change within the school environment, for example. So we didn't have mandatory hats when I went to school, but now there's like a sort of almost like a no hat, no play policy at most schools. However, there's a text here that says, My child has just started high school, and it's quite shocking that hats and sunscreen appear to be optional. Why isn't it enforced like it is in primary school and at childcare? No hat, no play. I understand that teenagers need to be given autonomy, but why isn't it made compulsory to have sun protection so that good habits are just entrenched by the time they become adults? So whether it be secondary schools, or workplaces, I'm going to say construction here, only because I saw two very young men working on a house just in my street, both had no tops on. And I just, oh, I just wanted to go up and say, boys, I know you think this is great now, but please put a top on
0: yes. and a hat. <laughs> Look, the, the issue with secondary schools is really interesting. We have uh, in this country one of the best... Um, programs in terms of the Sun Smart Schools program where exactly as you say, no hat, play in the shade. This is accepted practice. But there's something that happens between the the day they leave grade six to the day they start high school. And from there on, it's treated completely different. And there's very, very few secondary schools that have taken I on. that. I don't understand that. I don't. And, and just on your reflection on, on the construction workers and workplaces more generally, we have very good occupational health and safety legislation. And some workplaces you see that in postal workers, in council workers, there's really good practices in place. And so employers have a responsibility to their employees and you see that. But in secondary schools, we're not seeing that same... Responsibility being applied to so their could students. Could the
2: state government just not legislate that?
0: Well, the state government can certainly do a lot more. I mean, we, we do have the legis- We do have a policy in place in terms of what schools are obliged to do, um, but they ov- obviously have got lots of things they have to manage. And unfortunately, the issue of sun protection is not one that gets up on the list. And we do see many cases of where young people, particularly on school sports days, swimming carnivals, do get severely sunburnt. So there is a lot more work that needs to be done there.
2: Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair is with you. He's the Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria. And we're taking your calls and your questions today. John's in Geelong. Morning, John.
3: Yeah, good morning. Um, yeah, look, I think it's great to have this on the radio. And I'll just make a point, though, that um, I think maybe one of the causes of the increase in sunburn and melanoma, again, is over the last few years there's been such publicity about vitamin D deficiency and the only way to get vitamin D is to get a certain amount of sunshine. And I know myself that I used to always cover up long sleeve shirt, hat, etc., etc recently diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency and I'm thinking well look how do I come how do I get around this Uh, and you know 10 minutes here 10 minutes there and I just wonder whether that's been brought into the possibility Mm -hmm. of reviewing why the stats have changed so much that the vitamin D deficiency is scaring
0: people.
2: Yeah that's a good observation John thank you.
0: Yeah thanks for raising that John I mean certainly vitamin D has been raised a lot in the last few years at, at this time of year, it really isn't an issue. And, and the issue is very much uh, across all health professionals working in this area is well aligned. And that is when when the UV is high on, uh, as it is today, then everyone should be following the sun protection advice we've been talking about. And it only takes minutes of exposure to get sufficient vitamin D levels that your body needs for good health. And in the winter, particularly in Victoria, we, we actually actively discourage people to using sun protection unless they're an outdoor worker because that's the opportunity when your body needs vitamin D and it's a good time to be out and sun protection's not necessary because the UV levels are so low and risk is so low. But I I think it has been a distraction and many people who deliberately go out seeking vitamin D exposure in the sun are often those sun seekers, people desiring a tan. So I think people are grabbing the issue of vitamin D and running with it as an opportunity to give them a reason to enable them to tan.
2: Mary's in Mornington. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I'm in my 60s and I think I remember being told that sunscreens
5: lasted uh, for four hours. But I noticed when the I buy the 50-factor ones that they only last for two hours. And I think people do get caught out by that and not aware of it. Oh,
2: Mary, yes, I wasn't aware of that.
5: Yes. So if you look at your packaging, and you do have to look carefully to find it on some of them, It is only, they only do last two hours. And the other thing is that you do have to apply, I think it's
2: 20 minutes before you go out in the sun. And again, I think that's where people get caught out. Mary, you've raised so many things in one comment. Thank you. How long it lasts, how, what, you know, how early you should put yeah. it on before you go. And then there's things around swimming. If you're actually spending time in the water, mm-hmm. or as I've discovered with my daughter's face, if they're wearing goggles, then it just wears off around where the goggles are as well. So. Yeah. Well, where do you start with that one?
0: Oh, Mary, thanks for raising this one. The, the, there is a lot of confusion around this and the, the four hours actually relates to the water resistance of the product. So it, it has that capability to stay adhering to your, to your body for four hours in water, providing you're not rubbing it off. But you're absolutely right that the product um, needs to be reapplied regularly and at least every two hours because we know that people do wipe it off as part of just wearing clothes, toweling, drying off. So you really should reapply every two hours and certainly, as you say, reapply beforehand. I, I often think of examples where a family goes to the beach and they they leave their car, they, they, they walk the 10 minutes to the beach, they unpack, get the towels, get the umbrella up. By the time they've actually done that, they've probably already received sufficient UV to get the first signs of sunburn. As we're talking about, it takes less than 15 minutes in many cases. You haven't cases. seen me put up an umbrella, all right?
2: It takes <laughs> right. about half an hour.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, that's why it's really important to reapply before you go out and it helps the sunscreen adhere to your skin so you're getting the maximum effect. So thanks for raising that, Mary.
2: This, hello, I'm only 31 and just this morning I had a skin cancer removed from my head by a plastic surgeon. I always wear sunscreen and I'm pale with fair hair. So many questions coming in. We'll try and get through as many as we can, whether you're waiting online or you're sending those texts through. Plenty around driving and sitting next to open windows as well.
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This
2: is The Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunter with you. And this morning, it is a special on skin cancer and sunscreen, UV, all of those things, all of your questions around how to protect our skin so that those rates of skin cancer don't continue to rise. Our number is 1300 222 Taking your calls this morning is Adjunct Associate Professor and Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria, Craig Sinclair. Before we talk about some of the impacts of social media and some of the awful trends, Trends, pro-tanning trends that we're seeing. There's quite a few questions around being in the car and sitting behind glass and tinted windows. Do we need to be putting sunscreen on our arms, or more on one side of our, you know, our driving side face, driving foot. That doesn't make any sense, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I
0: mean, most side windows of cars they they block around ninety percent of the UV, so they are very effective. So if you if you're doing your uh, crossing the crossing the city um, in the car for half an hour, generally it's not required. But if you're going to be on the road doing a drive from Melbourne to Mildura, doing that four or five hours, then that's probably not a bad idea. But We know that many people drive with the the car window down and that's certainly not offering any protection whatsoever.
2: I know when we were younger there were awful trends that you think about now to get a tan. Mm -hmm. Everything from baby oil to coconut oil, you name it, and then you look back on that and you think, oh, thank God, things aren't like that anymore. But Mm -hmm. there are lots of concerns at the moment around pro-tanning trends and some of those trends that are on social media. Well, Professor Richard Scollier, Order of Australia and Co-Medical Director of the Melanoma Institute of Australia. Richard, this is something that you and your colleagues are so passionate about and just recently you addressed the National Press Club just in September to address this so-called tanning culture that we're seeing on social media. How concerned are you uh, about that and is that part of the reason why we're seeing a a rise in skin cancer numbers, do you think?
3: Well, thank you Rochelle, it's great to talk to you and hi Craig, Um, well first of all we're buoyed by the current groundswell of support to stop the glamorization of of tanning, and as you mentioned at the National Press Club in September, we issued a plea for social media and advertisers to stop glamorising tanning and trivialising sunburn. And yeah, you know, I think it's it's clear from all to all of us that, that Australia is obsessed with tanning. It's driven largely by social media and advertising, and with feeds of impressionable young Aussies that are constantly being flooded by tanned bodies. The deeper the tan, the better. But but in fact, a tan is actually skin cells in trauma. It's your body sending an SOS. And and we see the devastating health impacts of this every day. So we called it out and pleaded for change. And, we, yeah, we're pleased that, that this conversation is now um, now, starting in a, in a in more broadly across the
2: community. Gosh, it must be so frustrating for people like the the two of you when we think about just the the work and the dedication that goes into trying to save someone's lives, and the fact that we still have this tanning culture in our country that being tanned seems to appear healthier for whatever reason and once it might have just been in the fashion magazines mm. so you can control that to a certain degree but Richard I mean you I think I didn't even know they had a phone number but I believe you rang TikTok <laughs> and, and had a had a conversation with them about trying to somehow stop some of the posts around pro-tan and culture
3: yeah, well, I didn't know they had a telephone number either, but they definitely had a telephone because, in fact, what happened was they heard our, our plea. So, Georgina Long and I made this plea and TikTok actually called us the next week after the National Press Club, um, address and said, we want to do something about this. We want to, we want to work with you. And they, in December, launched their, um, Tanning That's Cooked campaign and they also added a Sun Safe Messaging to searches that came up around tanning sunburn at, at summer, etc and we 're very grateful for that. They also announced in December that they would ban the hashtag sunburn challenge which again we were delighted about because this was promoting dangerous behavior it had more than two million views but Uh, Unfortunately, we've just been advised that this ban is no longer happening. And whilst we applaud TikTok for making some changes in terms of education around sun safety, we really urge them to rethink the issue of banning the hashtag sunburn challenge and hashtag tanning culture. And indeed, hashtags across all social media platforms which promote dangerous behaviour need to be outlawed. And we urge all social media platforms advertisers, influencers and and media to to work collaboratively collaboratively with us to to stop this glamorising and standing and start saving lives.
2: It's so frustrating, isn't it, to think that we're still having this conversation and often it is, you know, when you're young and you think maybe this just makes me look healthier or it feels more glamorous, but there's a text here from Kevin that said, I had a melanoma removed on my head 12 months ago. I'm 62 years of age and I haven't had any sunburn since my teens. Mine was from getting sunburnt 45 years ago. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Richard? I mean, if we're talking about teenagers out there who think now that tanning is cool, if you get a bad sunburn, and you could be like Kevin at age 62. You're getting something removed from, you know, those days on the beach when you were 17 and 18.
3: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great um, example of what can happen. Um, so, uh, you know, my heart goes out to Kevin facing the challenges that, that he has. But um, th- what happens, the sun UV uh, irradiation causes uh, lifelong DNA damage to the cells that, that produce um, the pigment in the skin and, and that lasts. In fact, the cells during um, childhood are, are particularly sensitive for, uh, for, for damage. So it is a very important time. But there's no time during your life when, you're, when it's safe to go out. So even even for retired people, there's still a, a, a quantifiable benefit, the reduction in their risk of, of developing uh skin cancers including melanoma by uh, avoiding the harmful effects of, of the ultraviolet radiation from the sun so yes that that um 45 years uh, lag time um that, that that certainly um makes sense
2: You are at the forefront of melanoma research and treatment globally, Professor. Where do we sit? Where does Australia sit at the moment in terms of our protocols in workplaces and schools, uh, the research being done, the campaigns that we're running, the success rates
3: that we have? How do we fare? Well, well, I I heard you guys alluding to it earlier that obviously it's a major public health problem in our country. We've got the highest incidence of melanoma and skin cancer worldwide. In fact, an Aussie is diagnosed every 30 minutes with melanoma. One dies every six hours. It's the commonest cancer in 20 to 39-year-olds. Um, and, yeah, we have the highest incidence in the world. So it, it is a, a major um, problem for us. Also, during our, um, during our national press conference, Club address. We also called for a modernisation and long uh, and, and development of a long-term version of the slip, slop, mm. slap prevention campaign. So, you know, we, those of us who grew up with that, you know, it was it was iconic. We remember it. But the world's moved on. That young people get their messaging through social media, not through mainstream media. We need. We 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 need to modernise that campaign and have a strategy which will enable it to uh, get through to the target audience, which is particularly young people. And so, what would you do, defense.
2: Richard? Like, what would what would the campaign look like, Richard? Do you think well, we had a caller earlier saying it's got to be a scare campaign?
3: Well, I I don't have a fixed vision on what it should be. There's people with um, expertise and and knowledge about the. The type of campaign that's most likely to be effective, I would bring those. I call on the federal government to bring those people together to develop a campaign um, that we, we can. Uh, then utilise and extend long term mm-hmm. because it's not just one year. This is a, a, a it takes a generation. You we just yeah. heard um, Kevin's story of the the length of time it took for him to develop his his melanoma, and we we need to have a campaign that that goes on um, in, in perpetuity in Australia, particularly during summer where it's the most dangerous time for yeah. exposure to UV.
2: Absolutely. Um, and look, change can occur. I mean, we've seen in our lifetime uh, sunbeds, you know, solariums be banned and that was something that was so common. It was was at my hairdressers. You could, you know, get your hair coloured and, and go and for an extra 10, 15 bucks or whatever it may be, have a solarium yeah. at the same time. And that's something that we've seen now outlawed in this country. So change can happen Professor Richard well, Scoglia, your, your work is incredible and, uh, you know, we thank you so much for your time. We could spend all afternoon with you, but, yeah, thank you so much for your insights.
3: Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, uh, Rochelle. Great to talk to you and thanks, Greg. Thanks, Richard.
2: Professor Richard Scoglia there, there is an Order of Australia and rightly so for the work that he's done. He's the co-medical director at the Melanoma Institute of Australia. So frustrating that social media said, yes, okay, I mean, when TikTok calls, you know, okay, I'm not sure who's on the other line, but they've made those changes but then reverted
0: back. Yes, and look at the great publicity that they got in the meantime. So it is, oh. it is hugely disappointing to hear that and that's the, that's the first I've heard of that. Uh, there's no doubt that social media has a huge influence. That There was, back in the, in the 80s when Slip Flop Slap started, there was this very strong desire for a dark or very dark tan. And we have been able to change that, and the vast majority of adults and indeed adolescents no longer desire a tan. But but now with social media and the advent of uh, accessibility to, to materials which are countering our messages, it is really difficult. I, I spent summer uh, up in Sydney in, on the eastern beaches, and I'm a regular visitor to St Kilda, and I'm seeing so many young people who are no longer wearing not wearing rash vests. They're no, not they're wearing very hats. Far from it. They're barely, they're,
2: barely wearing bathers. Ba- That's <laughs> 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 exactly right. <laughs> barely. Yes,
0: exactly right. And I'm just dumbfounded. to think, wow, these are this is our future generation, and they just seem to be paying no regard to this message at all what does the future look like just as richard so well articulated that, that this this is scale, um, skin cells in trauma is what he said so we are going to see um, a, an increase in melanoma rates unless we turn this around and that's that's the the challenge for us is to make sure we continue these investments in, in skin cancer prevention campaigns yeah.
2: we've only just started to recently see rashes you know, long sleeve swimwear for adults, for women. But you've got to search high and low and it's certainly not cheap and it's certainly not the norm either. Let's try and whip through some of these calls. Debbie's in Reservoir. Hi, Debbie. Good morning. How are you? Well, what was your question? Well, I don't
5: really have a question. It was more a comment. I'm just wondering whether announcing the UV for the day as part of the weather forecast could be a good idea to
4: help Mm -hmm. people remind them to apply sunscreen. I think we should definitely.
2: To a UV day. Yeah, I think we should be definitely on the phone to the bomb after this, so that we add that in.
0: Yes, and can can I give a, a plug to the um, SunSmart Global UV app, which we just launched only a couple of weeks ago, which gives the times of the day when sun protection is required. Uh, any way that we can get that information out to as many people as possible, um, the better. So this, this app provides the UV levels and when sun protection is required, no matter where you are in the world. Um, but certainly having it as that regular weather forecasting is really important as well. So thanks, Debbie, for for that suggestion.
2: Karen's in
0: Pearson. Hi, Karen.
5: Oh, hello. Um, thanks for this conversation. I'm a workplace health and safety advisor And I was uh, amazed at how quickly we got dispensers into places like toilets and in in doorways with sanitizer. And I don't know why we couldn't do that with Mm -hmm. sunscreen. So in in every uh, toilet where you go to wash your hands, you can reapply your sunscreen. Or every time you walk
2: outside the door, you can put your sunscreen on. That's a great idea. How possible would that be? But Karen's right. We did it with sanitizer.
0: Well, certainly in a workplace setting, that should be the norm. Uh, any setting that has outdoor workers, that, that, that should just be what is expected for employees to... Uh, we, we know that works. That accessibility makes it very easy. We have it at our work, of course, or at the Cancer Council. Uh, but the more people have access to it, the more likely they're, uh, they're going to apply it. But I think that's a really important suggestion and we can certainly start within that workplace setting for that to be the norm. Why are some
2: sunscreens cheap and some are uh ridiculously expensive does it make that are the more expensive sunscreens better
0: now this this is the secret Rochelle, is that they're really in terms of the the protection it provides there is no difference, so I'm 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 running with the generics. Uh, Same, good. <laughs> so, um, that that's the beauty within the Australian context. Sunscreens are treated as a pharmaceutical, and my suggestion to the listeners really is to choose a product that you actually like applying. It's got that good cosmetic appeal. Obviously, thirty or fifty, whatever it that is, that if you like it or it feels good applying, it, you're going to use more of it. It's no point choosing a product that uh, might have a high SPF but you just don't apply enough of it, And if you're uncomfortable about spending $50 when you know you can get a product next to it, that's 10 which means you use less of it, then that's not the product for you either. So go for the product that you feel good about.
2: Tina in Aubrey has asked the question that I ask myself every morning, and that is moisturizer on first and then sunscreen on top or vice versa. So if you're applying your daily moisturizer and your daily sunscreen, does it matter what order you put it in?
0: not really i would generally use the sunscreen first and the sunscreen in a sense in a sense is a moisturizer it has a lot of that similar base the sunscreen it's better binding to your dry skin so best put that on first and any moisturizer afterwards
2: alex is in wood end morning alex good morning oh you're gonna to have to speak up nice and oh, loud yeah yep, what was your question
6: um, so I was just wondering, so I'm so I'm 35 and I had my first skin check slash sort of mole map last year, but that was off my own bat, sort of thinking it was probably time. But I've been having sort of Medicare-covered, bulk-billed, smears since my early 20s and been reminded about them frequently as well by my GP, but I've never once been asked to have a skin check. Yeah. Look- so why are they not Medicare-funded regular skin checks, especially for that... 20 to
2: 30 demographic. Yeah, Alex, quite a few people have said we've got to make skin cancer checks free or cheap and lots of questions sort of around the cost of dermatologists.
0: Yeah, look, certainly in terms of skin cancer checks, it's important that if you do notice a spot that might be changing shape, colour or size, certainly go see your your regular GP. You don't need to go to a specialist skin cancer clinic. Your GP sees enough of these skin cancers on an annual basis to know what to look out for. So I I would encourage people, if they're concerned about a particular spot or if they've got um, high susceptibility to skin cancer, Certainly, to do that as part of your um, GP checkup, and uh, we, we we certainly are encouraging people to, particularly when they've at this time of the year when they're generally wearing less clothes, to look out for those spots. This this is really important. This is
2: from Naylan and Kate Patterson. My husband came home with an aerosol sunscreen. We all got burnt to a crisp despite repeated applications. A lot of nodding from you, Craig. Yes,
0: we've done some research around aerosols. It just goes away. It It just just, goes away. Exactly. It can lose, in some cases, up to about 80 to 90% of of what's contained in the can. It's, It's going out into the ether. So it really is probably the worst method to apply sunscreen because what you end up getting is very wet arms or limbs from the propellant but very little sunscreen and it's extraordinarily expensive to apply to get that spf in fact i I think it's almost impossible unless in laboratory conditions to get the spf on uh as stated on the can on your skin because it's just too hard to apply so when we're
2: talking about changes that can be made if we know, right, that it doesn't work, surely those products just shouldn't be made available. Can can we I don't want to be there, let's ban everything, but can we not just say no? You know,
0: well, that's music to my ears, Rochelle, because we we've actually put in an, an AC um, submission around this very issue because I think it is false marketing. You cannot And people think they're doing the right thing. Yes. You cannot get that SPF that's in the can. It says it's SPF fifty. But you really in in practical terms, at any beach application, you cannot get that onto your limb without using three or four cans of aerosol to, to get a full-body uh, application. And that's going to cost you about $90. So it's just not... A method that we would in any way recommend. Wow, well, that's something that could just be
2: changed instantly Correct. and potentially change people's lives. Linda's in Brunswick and she says, "Great show on skin cancer. I'm going into the chemist now for prescriptions and I'm going to pick up some sunscreen, even though it's raining outside."
0: <laughs> on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your special guest today, is Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair. He's the Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria and we are taking your calls and your questions on sunscreen, on UV and on skin cancer. Craig, when we talk about workplaces, we've already mentioned construction, but for those that are working outside, in particular for those that are working on the land, when we talk about those that work in the agricultural sector and particular farmers, this is something that's so
0: important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And we know that there's much higher, around 44% increase in melanomas in those rural regional areas.
2: What's
0: the percentage? 44% higher risk of getting melanoma if you live in a rural area compared to metropolitan Melbourne. Oh my Melbourne.
2: goodness, I had no idea it was that high.
0: So it does mean there is a substantial risk out there and a lot that needs to happen in terms of educating outdoor workers and farmers in particular um as our guest will certainly attest to 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 make sure that they are well protected in this climate
2: sue brumby is the founding director of the national center for farmer health and you're currently working as a senior researcher in this sector sue what sort of message are you trying to get across to those that work within agriculture in particular farmers that are working on the land about skin cancer yeah
5: uh, good morning craig good morning, Michelle. Whatever sort of work we are doing in um, outreach capacity or one-on-one of clinical settings, uh, certainly uh, skin cancer prevention is uh, certainly top of the list and always discussed. And similarly, when we are doing work with uh, secondary students that are studying ag at school, uh, skin cancer and UV protection is raised all the time.
2: I mean when we look at I guess I don't want to stereotype anyone here but is it younger or older farmers would you say and I mean farmer can be male or female here but we see a lot of younger farmers coming through now are they the ones that are maybe not protecting themselves or is it an Uh, older generation
5: certainly um a lot of the work we've done and I've just looked up some recent data from 4,000 of our Victorian farmers um Still looking, listening to Craig speaking too, still around 46% of those are only using sun protection, which could include like long sleeve shirts, etc. Um, only occasionally or never. So I guess the good news is 64% of people are, are using it um, usually and all the time. But, However, there's that 46% that are not using it or only using it
2: very occasionally. So how do you change that, do you think?
5: I think um, some of the work we... Well, I, I think the original slip, slop, flap message that came out, like I'm talking the very original one, uh, you know, actually had a person working on a tractor. Um, as, so this was kind of replaced a bit more with um, Sid the Seagull at the beach. And sometimes farmers have also said to us when they go on beach holidays, they always apply sunscreen. But when they're back at work, um, they don't. And I think that's a kind of interesting mindset. Um, And they do tell us too that the use of sunscreen as a a cream as opposed to wearing long sleeves and broad-brim hats and long pants, um, you know, it gets dusty, it gets greasy, uh, they forget to reapply Mm. some of those things. It gets in their eyes. Um, uh, if they sweat and things. So I think, you know, there is that kind of um, issue of comfort when using a... A cream as opposed to wearing broad-brim hat, long-sleeve. Sure, depending on the shirts. work that you're yep. doing,
2: absolutely. Yep. And just finally, Sue, what about access? So we know that we have a huge issue with GPs and just yeah. the healthcare sector in general, <laughs> yeah. and then you add a regional lens on top of that. There's huge problems. So whether it be being able to see a GP to get a suspicious, you know, lump or bump or, or mole looked at, but then if you actually need to access a dermatologist or you need something cut out or you need treatment how difficult is that
5: it's uh, very difficult and just um, you know recently i come from hamilton and you know growing up in castleton and colrain we had sort of five gps in that area we're down to less than one oh, at the moment yeah. and i just it just you know everyone says go see your gp go see your gp it's it's not always possible um, and certainly, um, as Craig mentioned, the melanoma rate, but certainly basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas are also at a high rate in farming populations yeah. and rural populations. So it's, it's so a, important. a message that needs to continue to be promoted and also, you know, wearing of protective clothing. We also try very um, hard to communicate about trying not to work in the peak uv time and i was really i came in hearing um i think craig speaking about the new app i think that's a great idea as well
2: yeah getting it out there so it's such important work that you do thanks so much absolute pleasure sue brumby who is the founding director of the national center for pharma health adjunct associate professor craig sinclair is with you head of prevention at the council council of victoria great question here and i had it written down to ask it myself how important are use by dates on sunscreen
0: well, they are important. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to throw it out if it's, if it's uh, past that use-by date, if it's been kept in the kitchen cupboard. Uh, it's still going to provide benefit, not as good as if it was fresh, but there will be some benefit associated with it. It's when these products are left in the car, they've been left down on the beach, They've the temperatures change radically, then they do lose their efficacy very quickly. Oh, do
2: they? Because that's interesting. I always try and keep a tub in the, the back of the car in the boot because, you know, you just you never know. Yes. Um, but so it would actually go off
0: quicker if it's hot. Yes, correct. It's that that if it gets hot, it, it won't be as effective over time.
1: Danielle's in Warrnambool. Hi, Danielle. Oh, good morning. What a fantastic discussion. And uh, I just rang to um uh Make people aware of the issue of my husband, um, Michael, who's had 476 basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas, and removed. And we've spent our summer, our January, um, me caring for his wounds from the last surgery he had on the 30th Gosh. of December, including three skin grafts, one on the top of his head, uh, and he's had. 18 of those surgeries during COVID. Um, so I just wanted to reinforce that Peter Mac. if you ever need any treatment, you just go straight from your GP, get a referral to Peter Mack. You will be seen, you'll be seen quickly, no matter the circumstances, um, if you're at the highest of needs. But yeah, he's got, he had red hair, blue eyes, uh, there was no messaging in the 60s and nothing to prevent. Uh, he didn't work outside. He worked in sales, so getting in and out of the car, and he wasn't someone that when he walked from the car to the business he was going into that would put a hat on. I now threaten to nail it to it his takes. head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's
2: that's his story. Oh, that's such an important story, and there's probably mm. a lot of people that are listening to that, Danielle, and saying, that's my story too. Mm. Mm. You know and that skin color I mean you just Danielle you mentioned fair complexion red hair that's my daughter blue eyes my daughter is as white as a piece of A4 paper you know absolutely the most beautiful skin you could imagine but I know how susceptible she must be and these aren't fallacies either You're like these are not urban myths
0: correct correct and and the type of um, behavior work that your husband had Danielle as a sales rep is a great example where risk comes in because it's that episodic exposure it's it's it means that they might be out for 10-15 minutes for one moment 40 minutes the next and that is that uh, that really does add to the risk over time
2: Today, I think what's been incredible is just people sharing their stories Mm. and being open about it, and whether that be through coming on the radio or telling your friends, but just starting those conversations. Sophie Smith is a sports journalist. She's an author, a broadcaster, and an editor, and has been doing exactly that. She has had numerous skin cancers removed, which are actually hereditary. But Sophie, you've almost been documenting this process with with photographs and with information on social media. I guess what made you want to to share this experience that you're going through?
6: Good morning, guys. Thank you for having me uh, on your show. Um, it's not something that I traditionally have shared. It's quite a um, it's quite a personal, like uh, in some ways, uh, sort of procedure to have and something and something to go th- uh, something to go through. It of has, course. you know, a physical toll as well as an emotional toll. But as you said, I have a condition called Gall and Gold Gall Syndrome, uh, where I'm. I could live in, I'm prone to getting, one of the symptoms of that is prone to um, getting basal cell carcinomas. So this is something I got diagnosed with in, when I was 15. I'm now 36. I got my first basal cell carcinoma on my face um, when I was 15. And since then, I've, to be honest with you, completely lost count of uh, how many yeah. <laughs> have been surgically removed or burnt off or whatever. Like it'd be in the hundreds, like as some of the callers that you've had that. In answer to your question, sharing, it's just, um, and like I said, it's quite personal. I've had two operations in as many weeks. I had one yesterday, so I can't oh, no wait on my back on my arms or my chest at the moment. And then uh, I had one last week or the week before on my face. And, of course, when it's on your face as well and people see it, um, it's a lot more for me anyway, um, personally, a lot more confronting. So I kind of just wanted to share it as, as a way of almost explaining why being off yeah. the grid a little bit, yeah. but also just generating awareness that, you know, even though, yeah, this is, I could live in an igloo and, and this would still happen to me, but I'm, and I'm more English Rose than Broad and but I grew up with taking every sun precaution, you know, like fresh sunscreens and um, and have I still ended up sort of fighting this. So I think the more awareness that's out yeah. there, the more Asian people 100%. are about it, and more you, know, you can um, prevent it.
2: When we spoke to Richard before, you know, when he's campaigning, whether it be at the National Press Club or campaigning to TikTok to have some of those messages on social media changed and banned to get certain hashtags off, the fact that you're sort of, you're almost creating a social media campaign yourself, Sophie, by putting yourself out there. And as you said, that's an emotional thing to do as well. What kind of feedback have you had from people online?
6: surprisingly it's been I shouldn't say surprisingly but it's been so supportive and people have been uh so receptive to hearing about it and and taking the messages on board um which I think is is great because I've been to see many dermatologists over the years and it does take time to find the right one or you know find the right group of doctors and surgeons to to manage something like this and find the right products that work for you like I've you know, I used to work at a pharmacy, and it was almost like no one's happy in their own skin. You'd get white women who were, you know, like mm. me, like <laughs> translucent, coming wanted to like go dark, and dark women wanting to come in and go, it's so, and true. go white. <laughs> it's so true, so um, true. But but yeah, very positive, which is which is rewarding, and also I think. Why you can we can have conversations yeah. like this and bring more awareness,
2: awareness to it? And Sophie, you know, we've been saying, what's the campaign that we need? You know, what's how do we get that information out there? What can we do? And you're doing that, so we absolutely salute you and thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us. Given that you know you've just had surgery yesterday, so we you know we wish you all the best in your recovery. And thanks so much for everything that you're doing. We appreciate it. Thanks, Lisa. See um, Sophie Smith. She's a sports journalist. You can follow her on Twitter. You can actually see some of these images that we're talking about. She's an author and a broadcaster and an editor as well. This text, Craig, that says, I'm just showering and getting ready for work now as I listen to this segment. I'm baffled to know that it's sunscreen before moisturiser. That's a change I'll easily make from this moment on. Caroline
1: is in Caulfield. Caroline, if you're really quick, what was your question? Yeah. It's not a question. It's a comment. I got merkel cell carcinoma which is which runs in the goes in the lymphatic system not not the blood and i was fortunate enough to see professor grant MacArthur, uh probably australia's greatest um, dermatologist and um and he saved me he saved my life wow. but my message is always check a lump bump whatever um and treat the sun as your enemy because the
2: sun is my enemy. Yeah, I think that's such a perfect message to end on, Caroline. And, you know, Craig, today we've heard for people like Caroline, you know, mm-hmm. th- that are older. We've heard from young people like Soph. The sun... It, as much as we love it and we live in a sunburnt country, you know, to I hate to say that phrase, but it can be our enemy. We need to protect ourselves against it. We need to enjoy it and appreciate it, but protect ourselves from it and not listen to some of the myths or the tanning trends. And I don't know whether, I God, I hope so, that we will lose that tanning culture that this country has. It's just ingrained with, I don't know, bloody Paul Hogan ads or something, you know, like it's got to go. Yeah,
0: it it certainly does. I mean, we have such wonderful climate and our message is not about not enjoying it. It's just about being aware of the risks. And we've heard that from so many of your callers today, that the risks are real and there are steps that you can take. And the, the benefit we have is that there's good advice, there's good prevention and it can make all the difference Um, and in terms of that early detection again it's about looking out for those spots that are changing in shape colour and size and, and particularly a call out for men. Men are twice as likely to die from melanoma than women and that's not, I don't think that's a biological factor. I think it's just more of a hesitancy about seeing their GP and seeing their GP early. That early detection is so critical of melanoma. It's a difference between life and death.
2: Does there need to be some education? There's quite a few texts saying, you know, I don't even know if my GP would be able to pick up on, you know, half of these spots or whether even not if they would know if it was something I be, should be concerned about. Is it again, we're sort of throwing everything back onto GPs a little bit? Well,
0: two out of three Australians develop a skin cancer in their lifetime. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, GPs are generally, not, I can't say if all of them, are generally pretty good at recognising whether it needs a referral or not. Uh, so, I think your local GP, put some trust in them and certainly if you are concerned about a spot, go and see them as early as possible.
2: A huge amount of thanks and praise coming in for you, Craig. Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair is the Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria. It's such important work that you do. We know outside that the sun is actually just starting to shine through a little bit now, but it has been overcast. It doesn't matter if it's overcast. Put on your sunscreen.
0: Exactly right. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Rochelle.
2: No, thank you. Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair, as we said, Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria. Thank you so much to everybody that rang in and shared their stories and for all of the texts that came in as well. I'll be back with you on Monday. Monday, we're taking a look at dental in this state. Till then, take care, speak soon.